Candy McNeil, a psychotherapist in Guelph, Ontario, and this is my radio show, Open Minds. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. This show is dedicated to reducing the stigma around mental illness. Often, people with mental illnesses get lumped all together and judged as a group, rather than being seen as the individuals they are. And sometimes we focus way more on their weaknesses and impairments, rather than on their strengths and their gifts. On this show, I'm going to bring you stories from professionals and from people who experience mental illness that I really think will open your mind around what it's actually like to have a brain that works differently. One thing I've learned from my 15 years in the field is that contrary to what you might hear in the media or from misinformed individuals, mental illness is not a sign of weakness or laziness. It doesn't make someone dangerous or stupid. It's not a moral failing or a stain on one's character. And most importantly, it is not a choice or something someone can just, quote, get over. I have met some of the most hardworking, strong, smart, sensitive, and likable people in my office or in the hospital, people I'd enjoy having as a family member, a friend, or a partner. But often, these people feel judged in a very negative way. They feel less than or not good enough because of their mental illness, and they're very afraid that friends, partners, coworkers, roommates, and family members will think less of them, too and try as they might, they can't always recover. In fact, sometimes they don't fully want to because some part of the illness makes them feel good. I know that part is confusing for people who don't have a mental illness. You might ask, if it's really an illness, why wouldn't you want to get over it? I think it can be like smoking or drinking too much. On one hand, you know it's bad for you, but it's also calming. And so one part of you wants to quit while another part of you wants to continue. The ambivalence about quitting can actually be part of the disease. I think that in the same way we don't judge someone who gets leukemia or MS, we also needn't judge someone who gets bipolar or an eating disorder or any other mental illness. If we can be compassionate to people who have an illness in their blood or their liver, then surely we can show understanding to people who have an illness in their brains. Similarly, in the same way that we understand that chemo doesn't always get rid of cancer, we must be able to also understand that treatment isn't always successful for mental illnesses either. And just like the way that no one is racing to start chemotherapy with all of its nasty side effects, many people feel reluctant to start therapy that might make them feel worse before they feel better. Mental illnesses are complex and not fully understood even by doctors and researchers. Our best guess, and honestly, right now that's all it is, our best guess is that mental illnesses are the result of a very complex combination of genetic, biochemical, environmental, and interpersonal factors. The same can be said of some kinds of cancers, and when it comes to those, we would never dream of telling someone, or ourselves if we're the sufferer, to just get over it, or snap out of it, or get better by themselves. If someone is struggling with cancer, we'd encourage that person to see an oncologist and to take powerful drugs like chemotherapy if it might help, and to take time off work or school to let themselves heal. But when it's depression or an anxiety disorder or some other mental illness, some people think they should be able to get better on their own without professional help or medication, and that they should be able to do this on top of work and school and relationships. I wonder why we can't live in a culture where it's just as okay to talk to a therapist as it is to go see a dentist. Why do we feel shame about one and not about the other? Well, the point of this show is to explore those very issues. Some people do struggle with a mental illness, but you might be surprised to learn that many also thrive and succeed. As you listen to my interviews with experts in the field and with people who have mental illnesses or their family members, you'll hear firsthand that mental illnesses don't just hold people back. They sometimes give unexpected gifts and help un individuals develop greater compassion, creativity, tolerance, and drive. Whatever your current beliefs are about mental illness, your own or those in the people around you, I hope you'll listen with an open mind.
Today, I'm really happy to bring you the second part of my interview with Dr. Dan Siegel, who was recently in Toronto speaking at the Interpersonal Neurobiology Conference. In my last interview and today, you hear him talk about the concept of integration and how he thinks that fits with mental wellness and mental illness. In a nutshell, he would say that when we can bring together all parts of ourself and all parts of our brain, and when we can integrate ourselves into relationships with other people and the world, that we stand the best chance of being our happiest, healthiest, sort of most whole selves. He says that the process of integration helps us to self-regulate, which is an issue that's really important in therapy. It means that Whatever thoughts we have, whatever mood we're in, um, whatever feelings we're having, we find a way to not let them overwhelm us, nor do we completely shut them off so that we're not listening to them at all. But instead, we find that sweet spot in the middle where we are able to take that information in and do something really helpful with it. He goes on to say that we actually could think of most psychiatric or mental illnesses as a kind of impaired integration that our inability to be flexible and adaptive and stable and make a coherent um, sense out of our world and our experiences may be part of what underlies any kind of mental health problems that we may have. The good news is that if he's right, it means it's never too late for us to deal with mental health difficulties. Whether you're 17 or 71, your brain and your mind can be changed for the better. Join me now as he talks more about how to do this. The principle that emerges when you kind of see across all these different pursuits of understanding the truth, and that is this process called integration. And it's a simple word, and it means taking different elements and linking them. Mm-hmm. So in a relationship, it would be honoring differences between you and someone you're in a relationship with, and then promoting compassionate communication as a linkage. In the brain, it might be, you know, uh, having the left side and the right side, which are differentiated, so they're specialized, they're unique, they're able to be somewhat, uh, you know, whole and autonomous on their own, but then you link these different differentiated parts to each other, so the whole is actually greater than the sum of its parts. That's where that comes from, integration. So integration is not blending. It's actually more like a fruit salad than a smoothie. You know, it's where you maintain the differentiated elements, but you link them. So it turns out from a whole line of reasoning, and I talk about this in the Pocket Guide to Interpersonal Neurobiology or, you know, the Developing Mind or Mindsight or it's the highlight of Brainstorm or Whole Brain Child or all these different books I've written. You know, uh, it's always about integration. And years ago, you know, when it became clear that you could define the mind as this self-organizing process that's regulating energy and information flow, then through a long line of reasoning and pursuits, it became clear that a healthy mind could be seen as a mind that promotes integration both within, like in your body and your nervous system, or between, like between you and other people or you and the planet. So integration, when it's present, creates harmony. Integration, when it's absent, meaning you don't have differentiation and or you don't have linkage, that leads to chaos on the one hand or rigidity on the other. So a way to view it as a river. 
and the river, the main flow of the river is integrated harmony. And then one bank of the river is rigidity. The other bank is chaos. So it turns out that every symptom of every syndrome Mm -hmm. within the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders can be seen as either chaos, rigidity, or both. And so far, I had 15 interns working with me to revise the first edition of the book that published this, The Developing Mind. And when they were revising it, I said, you know, prove this is wrong. It's too simple. But all they could do is find support, 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 lots of support from every study they could find of some human being with a major mental disorder, impaired integration in the brain, whether it was from things that parents did not cause, like schizophrenia, autism, manic depressive illness, obsessive compulsive disorder, impaired integration, each of those cases, or when parents are the source of abuse or other adults who care for a child source of abuse, neglect or trauma uh, in these different ways, that produces impaired integration in the brain. And that would explain, it was predicted by the developing mind, the first edition, and supported in the research that in the last dozen years. But the issue there is that it's predicted when you see that all the symptoms are chaos or rigidity, and the science of integration suggests that when integration is not there, you go to chaos or rigidity. So it wasn't such a wild prediction, but the supportive evidence is helpful because then you can say, if, you're, if you know someone or you yourself has what's called a mental illness, so far what science supports, doesn't prove it yet, but supports it, is that likely you have some form of impaired integration. And doing something in your life to help promote integration, whether you have, let's say, manic depressive illness, there's a study now being done at UCLA, to try mindfulness meditation, which appears to integrate the brain. Right. So even if you're born with a genetically caused or some other way, not experientially caused, but but uh, a, a, a problem with integration, you can do something with your mind and your experiences to promote integration in your brain. And the same thing is true if you've been traumatized or neglected and integration is impaired in your brain. It's never too late to work on a mind practice that integrates your life, integrates your brain, integrates your relationships. And so this is the exciting thing is that, you know, for me, if I see someone with a mental illness, whether it's in my personal life, you know, or, you know, walking down the street or, you know, in my professional practice, you know, I think that they they have a challenge to integration. And, you know, through my practice, of course, I will guide them through practices that I talk about in the Mindsight book that promote integration. And I've had some of those beautiful emails from adolescents for the brainstorm ways they're, they learn to create integration in their life, or um, from the Mindsight book where people who I've never met will try the practices that cultivate integration in their life. Because when you create integration, you're actually creating well-being, even in the face of a mental illness. At the risk of sounding like um, the head of the Dan Siegel fan club, um, what I have to say is that one of many, many things that um, I love about the work you do is how you you really do break it down into terms that are um, so understandable and that make it... Re- 
just so um, clinically approachable. Integration is something as a therapist that um, is so easy to work on with a client and to say, look, here's what we're going to do. A practice like mindfulness, you know, where there are a hundred videos on YouTube that someone can watch if they feel uh, too uh, insecure to go to therapy or too um, embarrassed to go to therapy, right? There are so many ways that people can approach this. And I'm just going to take a second here to say that uh, for listeners, um, you don't have to be madly writing down uh, the names of all the books that Dr. Siegel is mentioning. There's a link on my website at whatseatingyou.com um, to his site and to all those books. And um, really, they're just, they're phenomenal. And I think part of what I love is that um, this idea of integration, even if there's something that you were born with, or even if there was something that happened at some point in your life, that it's never too late to change it. That's the thing I most right. love. It's never too late to change it, is what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a case of a person in the Mindsight book called Stuart, where he was 92 when he first came here, you know, to work on things. Actually, he didn't come to work on things. His son wanted him to work on things. And we finally discovered that he had some significant difficulties in, in the way his mind was working, you know, and and you'll see if you get a chance to look at his his experiences, how he worked at 92 uh, so much that his wife, who he'd been married to for 65 years, called me up and asked if I'd given Stuart a brain transplant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and because it's never too late to, to integrate your brain. This is the really wonderful thing about uh, this view. I mean, it's not only supported by the science and pulls all the different sciences together, but it also empowers us to actually do things in our lives to, you know, promote integration. I mean, and this is the thing, you know, there's a great um, book by Siegel, Williams, and Teasdale, not me, but S-E-G-A-L, uh-huh. uh, uh, who's from Canada, Zindel's from, uh, from Toronto, and um, a beautiful book, on a workbook, using their mindfulness-based cognitive therapy for anxiety and depression. Beautiful, beautiful workbook. Um, or I'm flying to Canada tomorrow morning, you know, to talk about this for folks who work in, in, in different arenas, you know, right. um, up in Alberta. And, you know, all around the world, I was just in uh, Holland, you know, um, sort of working with uh, an educational group and the Dalai Lama to talk about how, something called the education of the heart, how you can, you know, really make, in, in many ways, make school experiences more integrated. Right. Um, so these, this is relevant you know, whatever we do, whether we're working in the government or working in law or working in schools or families or clinical work or, you know, whatever, it's really very helpful to have a framework that ties all the sciences together and is actually empowering for all of us as individuals. And the last thing I just wanted to say about this integration thing is, you know, I end the brainstorm book with something you referred to a few moments ago, which is, you know, the idea that we have an identity, not just as a me, but also really as a we. Right. And, and, and when, we, when we realize that, uh, you know, we can take this important, uh, really important work you're doing, you know, and, and see that, you know, it's, it's not just, this isn't just Candy's perspective. This is actually a deep way where we can expand our sense of connection to all people. So it's a me, yes, I live in this body, but I also have an identity as a we. So an integrated identity would be differentiating, 
okay, I have an experience that I'm living in this body for, if I'm lucky, for 100 years, that's great. But I'm also connected to other people as a we. And that's as much about who I am as the bodily experience. So this is where it's the within and the between. Right. And that's how I, I summarize it with the word we, you know, M-W-E. I love that. Um, I I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I am so grateful for this. I did want to ask you uh, two quick things before you go, if I could. Um, sure. One that is on a professional note. Uh, this is a question I get a lot, and I haven't seen it addressed in uh, your books, and I have read most of them. What do you think about the idea of um, medication when it comes to people struggling with these things, and particularly with the issue of stigma? Do you have thoughts or feelings about that? Well, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, so I'm trained uh, to prescribe medications when they're needed. And um, I've seen so many people in my own practice uh, really benefit from medications. Um, when you look at the um, effect of medications on people with serious psychiatric disorders, mm-hmm. um, they're life-saving. Uh, some of the ways that the medications work uh, include promoting something called neuroplasticity, how the brain changes, right. especially the antidepressants, but also uh, lithium for, for stabilizing mood disorders. So I have nothing against medications if they're needed. Right. What I say is that if someone needs to take a medication, then they, they likely have a mental uh, challenge that is probably a part of impaired integration and if the medication stabilizes their mood or stabilizes their emotional outbursts or stabilizes their thinking, that's great, fantastic, reduces anxiety, all good. Right. But they should also be doing, in addition to medications, they should also be doing appropriate mind training exercises to get their mind to integrate their brain and integrate their relationships. So for me in my practice, sure, I'll prescribe medications if they're needed, but I'm also giving people mind training practices that I talk about in the Mindsight book, because if you have a serious enough condition to take a medication, fine, but then you have a serious enough condition to get yourself doing a mind training exercise to integrate your brain. Mm, that's so the answer I was hoping for. And so I'm really glad to hear that you say that. I am a big fan of uh, experiential therapy. And um, for those of you who haven't gotten to see Dr. Siegel, if you do have a chance, I I really recommend it. Uh, When you were in Toronto, I'm just going to tell listeners how you did a little exercise where you asked people to, um, right on the spot, volunteer to be part of a choir and and come up and sing, right? And and it was all about, you know, harmony, integration, um, you know, when things are happening completely oblivious of what's happening around you or when you're uh, working with the things that are happening around you. I love experiential stuff and um, have have come up with a few experiential uh, activities that I think promote this. I just wonder what made you such a fan of that. I did hear you say um, that you love to dance, actually, and yes. <laughs> maybe that you don't get to do as much of that. But but what is it that... that um, encouraged you to bring experiential work as opposed to just talk therapy or just medication? Uh, You know, I I think it's kind of what you're referring to. When I was in medical school, um, you know, the professors I had were very kind of disconnected from their inner life and the inner life of their patients and certainly the inner life of we, their students. And uh, I found that... uh, it was, you know, even though I like science, I like intellectual things, 
you know, it was too disembodied, literally. It was right. just too uh, word-based and conceptual and abstract. And even though I love abstract ideas, I deeply, deeply love them. Right. By themselves, they're not enough to live a full life. So I dropped out of school for a while and did a bunch of different things, including dancing and stuff. And, you know, I just felt that there were truths that came from experience that were beneath and before words. And so words are great, but but when they are um, they're disconnected from experiential immersion, they lose their truth. So um, I have nothing against words, so I'm not putting words down. I just think uh, we can get distracted by them and not have things being experienced. So like when you saw in Toronto, when I uh, invited people to come up and sing in a choir, you know, for a participant in a seminar like that, they can hear me talk, 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 which is fine, you know, uh, but I want to have it also be where they're experiencing something. So in this case, the invitation was pay attention to how you feel in your body while we do these different examples of, you know, integration of right. blocked linkage, block, block differentiation, and then harmony in the choir. And then you as a participant could feel right. integration. Right. You don't have to hear some dude, you know, giving you the ideas of integration, you could feel it. And then, of course, you know, it's a seminar, so there's a lot of talking going on. But to me, it's really as much about the interaction. So I don't really know exactly what I'm going to say or how I'm going to say it, but I'm watching everybody's faces. You know, there's the, there's as much uh, interaction with us non-verbally right. so that w- we are creating this experience as it unfolds, So which is, you know, more, more than you get... Um, when you go to medical school, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it, it was, it, I believe deeply in experiential learning, even in classes. Right. So, you know, I think we learn by all the different senses we have, including our interoception, our perception of the interior. Well, really, Dr. Siegel, in every way, you are you are just an extraordinary man. I think what you're contributing to our understanding of uh, our own mind and our brain is um, phenomenal. It has been both life-changing and career-changing for me. No, thanks, Candy. Mm-hmm. It's it's really true. I I I am amazed um, at some of what you say and how you say it, and how much it has enabled me to help other people, um, and how how really destigmatizing it is when I send a client away to read a book of yours and they come back and they just feel less terrible about themselves. And totally, because, you know, integration is not a noun, it's a verb. So what I said, like I was teaching at a, some foster care home for adolescent boys, and it was so beautiful. We were just talking about all this different stuff, and then at the end, this 17-year-old says, um, I've been told I have autism, and that it is a permanent disability I will always have. Mm-hmm. Is that true? And I said, and, and there was like, I don't know, 40 guys there, 40 of his classmates. And I said, you know something? I said, first of all, you can drop the word permanent from your vocabulary mm-hmm. because the brain is always changing. Right. I said, and secondly, in terms of disability, I said, listen, we all have a growth edge we're all working on trying to make integration more in our life. It's not something you achieve and you're done. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm working on it. I, I've got problems with my eyes. I can't really read so well, which is true. Mm-hmm. And I'm always working on strengthening my reading. I said, so, you know, if you have challenges with understanding social signals, you know, 
in the brainstorm book, there's ways of dealing with that. And he had a copy, so I said, you know, you'll do these exercises. You can say, okay, that's my integrative challenge. So that's what I'm working on. I said, good. Now you have something to do. You know, so it's not permanent. It's not. It's not a disability. It's something we need to empower each other to identify integration when it's not there, and then really work to promote it. So. And I think you're doing that, Candy, with this program, so thank you so much. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate you being willing to be on. I am so pleased that I stumbled across uh, your talk that morning in Boston and um, will continue to promote your work as much as I can because I think it uh, it really just is life-changing for people. And so if you, um, as a listener, if you have enjoyed this show, um, by all means, uh, you can go to see uh, Dan Siegel's website, which I think is dansiegel.com. Is that yeah, right? D-R-D-A-N-S-I-E-G-E-L dot com. And uh, let us know the, the link and we can uh, link up with you guys. Oh, that's very kind of you. This was a great it's talk. A pleasure. And uh, next time I'm in town, I hope we'll have more time. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Take Thanks. good care. Keep up your good work. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's my show for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Open Minds. I'd like to thank my editor, Craig, without whom these shows wouldn't be possible. If you've missed any part of this, or if you want to listen again or share with someone else, please visit my website at whatseatingyou.com. That's all one word, whatseatingyou.com, and click on the podcast link where you can find this and all previous shows. You can also find the show on the archives page at cfru.ca. Or you can subscribe to Open Minds on iTunes and be notified whenever a new show is available. I would really love to hear what you liked or didn't like about today's show and welcome suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover in the future. Please send those to my email, which is openminds at cfru.ca. That's openminds with an S at cfru.ca. Please know, though, that I may not be able to respond to all emails personally, and that I definitely cannot respond to those asking for help or advice with a specific mental health problem. For those, I strongly encourage you to put aside your fear of stigma and see your doctor, try a therapist, visit the local emergency room, or call your nearest crisis hotline. And if you're concerned for someone around you, please try not to judge and instead encourage them to seek out the treatment they deserve. Remember, if you wouldn't hesitate to visit the dentist when your teeth are causing you pain, then you needn't hesitate to seek treatment when it's your brain that's causing you pain. I'm Candy McNeil. Please join me again next week here on Open Minds. Mm-hmm.